This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston. Our co-host Charlie is not here today, but I am on the line with James Tronowski, who is a senior policy analyst at Americans for Prosperity and a contributor over at Young Voices and a regular here on Good Morning Liberty. James, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we could do this. We were just, we've been talking for quite a bit beforehand. I wish I would have turned the record button on just way sooner, especially when I yelled, it's going to be funky, let's go, and then hit record. I think that would have been a better way to start the show, but I didn't I didn't catch it. I, I apologize uh, for that. But anyway, aside from that, the Babylon Bee getting involved in the suit here in California on a topic that we haven't covered whatsoever and a law that I had never heard of before. And so that's why it's great to have people like you that can fill everyone in. What's going on there? Yeah, that's a great question. So the Babylon Bee filed a lawsuit in the state against the state of California because last year they had passed a bill, Assembly Bill 587, which, you know, at its face value seems relatively benign. It's a transparency bill. It wants social media companies to publish their terms of service and do uh, reporting requirements. But the problem is, is that they're also highlighting within that reporting requirement certain types of content. Uh, this is the stuff that usually gets you the finger wagging, like misinformation, disinformation, hate speech. And if you do not go and do those reports to the satisfaction of the attorney general, uh, they can go and bring an enforcement action against your platform. Now, this is why the Babylon Bee sued the state of California, because what this is actually incentivizing platforms to do is to just have overly nebulous uh, kinds of terms of service that could also result in targeting the Babylon Bee for its types of content, particularly when it's engaging in satire. And, and you know, it always gets slapped with fact checks. Uh, you know, there's a there's a very real chance that, you know, with this kind of bill being enforced, that the Babylon Bee could get censored by social media companies as a result of a state bill that was passed here. So they're suing the state of California on, on that constitutional ground, saying that this bill completely violates our rights um, as a result of that. And it should be stricken down. The brief that was that, that was submitted by them was excellent, uh, I think, in many ways. 
so I think that, you know, it's very exciting. I think that, you know, the Babylon Bee is highlighting something that's very critical in this space. We do not want the state being in that position where it is dictating what speech is or is not acceptable online or trying to pressure companies into making their own determination, if you will, as to what speech is okay to have online. So this is a big thing that's happening. Certainly very excited to see it. Something that we'll have to continue to monitor. This could take some time, though. So uh, definitely look forward to watching things unfold. I especially love the, uh, I don't know if it's irony, but the fact that there's a satirical news website, a really a comedic website that ends up being uh, an entity that's suing the government about free speech. And uh, one of the things that's been attacked so much has been comedy. And I, so I really like the idea that this is actually a comedic organization, although a lot of the things they say are you know, partially true, it seems like. But uh, but I do like the idea that this is a, a satire site that's actually going to protect speech. No, I think you're absolutely right, right? I think this is like the next best thing. Uh, back when, a few months back, uh, The Onion had went and submitted an amicus brief to the Supreme Court over a site, uh, over a case that they were considering um, that had to deal with satire uh, that somebody had done online when impersonating a police department uh, official I, I believe so. And that was that was great to see because the onion was basically highlighting about how satire is free speech and you shouldn't be punishing comedy. Um, and I think the same thing happens here for Seth Dillon. I know that the line that he likes using is that, you know, it's not our fault that our parody ends up brushing up against reality and that it's coming. You know, that gap is closing between reality and their parody here. Mm. Um, so I think that, again, you kind of hit the nail on the head there where. Um, at the end of the day, we do not want the government being in this position to dictate to private companies how they're supposed to moderate their websites online because of the very fact that, you know, it means that a website like the Babylon Bee, which is read by millions of people, would be negatively impacted in a very real way. Uh, and that is the kind of power that the state can wield over private enterprise. And that's why we should always be skeptical when the state wants to weigh in on these matters. So I think that it's a very big deal. And I think that it's a very welcome sight that the Babylon Bee is the one leading the charge in this particular instance against the state of California. <laughs> now, tell me, tell me about the Earn It Act. Another thing that I hadn't heard of, although I, I should have, that you just happened to mention before we started and we haven't talked about before on the show, but very important. Yeah, uh, it definitely is very important, especially if you're people who are uh, concerned about privacy and want to maintain some semblance of separation in your communications from prying eyes. Uh, I think the Earned Act represents a genuine threat to people that love to use end-to-end -end, uh, encrypted messaging services. Uh, basically, what that bill does is it seeks to amend Section 230. Um, and, and it is for a noble effort. It's trying to combat child sexual abuse material. And I think that while that's a noble goal and that that is something that we should work on to pretend that this particular piece of legislation is the solution here, um, is, is a foolhardy mistake. I think that this actually undermines the privacy of millions of Americans and actually, uh, really undermines a promising technology and encryption. Part of the reason why so many people are flocking there is that they like the privacy upside. Like they like knowing that companies can't necessarily see what are the messages that are going between users. And that's, that's something that's important, right? And this bill would actually punish companies for deploying that technology. And as a result, I think that this is why you've seen such a broad ideological spectrum of organizations, civil society groups, human rights groups that have gone and come out as opposed to this particular piece of legislation. Uh, you know, for ourselves at AFP, we've opposed this piece of legislation every single time it's come out with the ACLU, 
Um, because of these kinds of concerns, uh, I think that it, you cannot understate enough just how detrimental this can be to Americans' privacy if we're going to open up backdoor access uh, to law enforcement and undermine the the importance of uh, encryption technology in the name of pursuing a noble goal. This would, uh, I'm just reading through some of it right now. I mean, it would completely undermine the entire point of a lot of these end-to-end encrypted apps. And many of them don't store any data on it, data on any servers. They just go from device to device. I mean, how would you possibly require the company to police this type of communication when they're not even passing the messages? They're, they're not opening the messages on their servers. They can never see them. You literally defeat the entire point of the service. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I think that that's that's part of the issue there. And or what it requires is something that's a little bit more eerie by design and nature, which is like client side scanning, a little bit more real time surveillance, if you will, um, of Americans devices and communications. And if there's one thing that I think we've learned over the last several years is that the government's probably been doing a little too much of that. (laughs) Uh, So I don't think that the answer here is to go and expand that power and authority it misreads the room in the Congress that seemingly is trying to actually, you know, scale back some of the powers of the intelligence community that have abused those powers, those broad latitudes of powers that they've had over the years. So I think that that's that's something that's just misreading the room in its own right. But you're not wrong. Like if you if you care about encrypted technologies, basically, I think that it's not unfair to say that this piece of legislation significantly and severely undermines that particular piece of technology and undermines Americans' privacy in the process. And it's not necessarily something that is going to guarantee any better outcomes in terms of the goal that's in mind of preventing the transmission and and distribution of CSAM materials. Um, You know, I think that a great way that we can look at this is that um, the last time that we had something similar like this come up, which was with the SESTA-FOSTA debate, um, which was, again, targeting sex trafficking, noble endeavor, but did it work? And the answer that we had from a GAO report that came out last year was a resounding uh, no. The, the the statute itself had only been invoked about three times. Uh, law enforcement had a more difficult time of actually tackling that particular issue that they were focused on dealing with. And so I think that this is the kind of conversation that you need to have. What are the trade-offs of the policies that you're that you're considering here? They're very real. The costs are real. And people are the ones that are getting impacted here. So I think that there, for all those reasons, we should be concerned about this piece of legislation. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. You probably know more about this than I do. Did Apple introduce a policy where they were going to begin scanning iCloud photos for this very similar purpose? And also, did I hear that they abandoned that because it's essentially impossible for them to do? Yeah. Yeah. So Apple did have that announcement a while back that they, like if you were doing iCloud storage for photos and stuff that they that they would try to do some client side scanning. And I believe you are right as well that they, they have put a pause on that in part due to technical issues, in part, I think, also due to cultural backlash that came as a result of that. I don't think in general, people don't like it when it's coming from any source, whether that's the government or, you know, companies that are just trying to be good stewards. Like at the end of the day, I don't think anybody likes the notion that somebody big brothers your mm-hmm. your personal, uh, you know, property, if you will. Um, so I think that that's why that, that project is on pause uh, right now, if memory serves right. So unsurprising, to say the least. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Think about this with me, folks. Seriously, I want you to think about it for a minute. Over the past week, How much time did you spend on yourself, on things that you needed and wanted versus the amount of time you spent on other people? I mean, actually, what's the answer to that? For me, I don't want to tell you the ratio. It's not that great. It's easy to get caught up worrying about everyone else and what makes them happy. And then a couple months go by and you're like, whoa, 
What about me? What do I need? Therapy can help you strike a better balance in your life so you can continue being a great friend or a great family member without getting stretched too thin and burnout. out. If you're considering therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, flexible, and convenient. Just fill out a few questions on the website to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can even switch therapists at any time for no charge. Hey, listen, my life was changed because I chose to go to therapy. Charlie still uses BetterHelp. He's been using it for a few years. He loves it, loves the app. Seriously, if you're thinking about this, I highly recommend BetterHelp. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash GML today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash GML. Yeah, I was just thinking about how it it seems to me, uh, of course, there are obvious cases. They say that they want to go after child uh, pornography and these types of sex crimes. There are obvious things, but then there's also, uh, there's thin lines, and I, I believe they ended up collecting far too many questionable photos that ended up not being what they were exactly what they were looking for. And of course, people going through actual people working there, going through all these photos, trying to decide whether or not it met their criteria. That's just a little bit creepy. And I don't see that doing this with these encrypted apps is going to be able to solve that problem really either. And then it raises the question, are they just using this emotional sticking point that we're all against and we all agree is a terrible thing? And to give a reason that they need to get into your encrypted messages for maybe it'll be used for another purpose down the road, right? Yeah, I, I think that that's always a valid concern. You can't overstate enough the issue that comes up with mission creep and scope creep. I mean, we're not that far removed from the director of CISA, which was the new agency that was formed within DHS. Uh, their director saying that the most critical infrastructure in America was our minds, uh, which, you know, I just do not like that sentence at all. I think it really bothers me at my core that we're, you know, having government officials thinking about our our, our minds in that sense. But, um, you know, I think that you're not wrong. I, that This is a very concerning and, and deeply, you know, uh, serious issue that we have to tackle. I think that, again, uh, child sexual abuse material, CSAM, very important. It's something that we can and should work with uh, the government and the private sector to tackling that issue, to limit its dissemination and distribution. There's nothing wrong with those goals, but it's about how you go about doing it. And you have to do it in a constitutionally sound way. And right now, the way that the Ernest Act is written, and I think that there's actually some good meat to this issue, uh, particularly that's being highlighted, is that you're basically deputizing these private companies to become state actors to, you know, monitor all this stuff, right? Mm. Now, if you're a child predator, you can go and actually claim that they violated your Fourth Amendment rights, and you might be giving them a, a get-out-of-jail-free card. So, again, just from that that pure process here, um, you know, I'm not really sure that it's the best thing in terms of trying to align the incentive with what the goals are here. Um, and, and doing it within the confines of the Constitution with the constraints that we have on our government as a result of that. So, I, again, I think that there are a lot of issues here. I think that we can have two thoughts at the same time, that this is an important issue that needs to get tackled and that this solution is not actually the right answer here to tackle those sets of issues here. So I think that there's a lot of conversations that still need to be had. Totally agree. I want to throw something out of left field to you that we didn't speak about beforehand. Uh, have you paid attention to Elon Musk's views on AI and him going to meeting with Schumer discussing regulation? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of AI doom and gloom uh, that's going on right now when we're talking about that that particular piece of technology. 
it's a little understandable, right? Because either A, you don't comprehend it, or B, the things that you are hearing about it just sound freaky in nature, right? Um, you know, it, it can come up with love songs and, you know, write poems and has some very weird, quirky, uh, you know, personality traits that can get put out by people. So I can understand why some people have concerns there. But to pretend that, like, it's going to get us this Terminator, you know, AI sentient, <laughs> like, going to destroy the world kind of vibes is also overblown. Um, to pretend that companies aren't trying to be responsible with that is just bad faith, I think, in many ways. Um, AI is a really powerful tool. It is very nascent by comparison to where it can be. Um People are worried about it for job reasons as well. And I think that that's ridiculous. Some people went as far as thinking like, you know, that this is going to automate away some people, the legal profession. And then I'm like, listen, if there's one group of people that are doing a great job of protecting themselves from competition, it's lawyers. So <laughs> I don't really think that you have anything to worry about there. So AI is very important. It's very cool. I'm personally very excited about it and the opportunities it can unlock. Uh, but I think that the, 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 that the fears are overblown. I actually become more fearful of it when we talk about the government being involved in regulating it, because then I don't know what direction they're going to try to steer things. I would rather this be unfettered AI and just develop it whatever way naturally it's going to. But when you go have a meeting with Chuck Schumer about about regulating this, what do you think they're even talking about? What could the government even possibly do? Yeah, I mean, that's a fair question, right? And I think it depends on, you know, what exactly the proposals look like. If you're talking about like the EU's AI regulatory framework that they just passed not that long ago, that's very top down, very restrictive in nature, overly burdensome on businesses. And this is why Europe hasn't done anything relevant in tech in the last 30 years. They've exported all their innovation to the United States and then they decide to regulate us because, well, you know, why not? They treat our companies like cash cows uh, for fine dollars. But at the end of the day, I think that, you know, it's it's certainly is trying to figure out, you know, AI ethics and how do you go and incorporate that better. Um, again, there's some false assumptions here saying that, like, you know, they think that the private sector is not doing that or not doing it enough. Um, I think that it is something that companies are taking seriously um, in many ways. And you need a soft law approach, not a hard law approach. So basically, how do we set up best best practices, best standards, trying to go and get the industry to, you know, think through this and solve it on a more flexible ground? because when you're talking about legal solutions through text and law, um, that's a little bit more concrete and more difficult to navigate. So my hope is that, you know, it's just a conversation of how they're going to think about it moving forward. But this administration has been pretty hostile to lots of new tech, whether it's cryptocurrencies or AI. And it's just something that we'll have to keep an eye out and push back on when they go over the line. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be there every step of the way. Any other uh, any other big developments that you've been following? You mentioned the 702 reform things earlier. I just want to make sure if there's anything else uh, that you're following, yeah. let us know. Yeah, yeah. So I guess since we're on the topic of AI, I'll quickly flag that the RNC recently released a political ad purely uh, actually created <laughs> by uh, AI, which triggered a lot of people apparently because... Yeah. You know, political ads were so truthful and wholesome before the incorporation <laughs> of AI or something. Yeah. Uh, that so it went as far as a Democrat from New York introduced a bill trying to mandate the disclosure of AI use in political ads, which I'm just, <laughs> God, I can't make this stuff up. Um, <laughs> but then, yes, to the other point that you mentioned, a serious conversation that is happening right now on the Hill in Congress is looking at our intelligence community and our surveillance powers we give them. So Section 702 of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act is up for reauthorization this year. And AFP is um, among many groups that are sitting there and pushing for Congress 
that has actually a bipartisan appetite here to get some serious and much needed reforms so that way we can balance our national security interests as a country against our civil liberties and constitutionally protected rights interests of Americans here at home. So I think that that's a massive and important fight. AFP released a video, so you can check that out on our YouTube channel for AFP, uh, Americans for Prosperity. I would certainly recommend that. Really fun, really enjoy it. And it's something that we're going to continue to weigh in on. And I'm personally very excited about it. Yeah, I was wondering, do you know what some of the reforms are that they're looking at? Is there anything we can do about the fact that they approve, you know, 95 or more percent of the warrants that people ask for surveillance? Surely they're not that accurate when they want to look at someone. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So that particular part, which is the Carter Page example that typically gets brought up, is underneath a different section of authority of Mm -hmm. FISA. Um, So that's not what's up for reauthorization this go around. This is Section 702, which is about collecting uh, data on non-U.S. citizens that are abroad. But the problem that happens there is that more often than not, U.S. citizens are actually uh, captured in that process. uh, Their data is uh, in those communications. And more often than not, there's not any kind of protections there. And there have been abuses. So a representative, a sitting member of Congress, actually got subjected to 702 queries by the FBI. Um, you know, they were claiming it was a defensive search, yeah, if you want to believe them, um, uh, being the FBI. But I think that when we're talking about solutions here, uh, to your point, it is about having a, a strong warrant requirement. Uh, you do need to bake that in. It's about improving the amicus process and the transparency that happens at the FISA courts. So that way people can actually have a, a better due process uh, play out there. I think that that's very important. And then it's also about Congress retaking some of its power from the executive branch and putting some constitutional guardrails and congressional oversight guardrails over Executive Order 12333, which has been governing how a lot of this surveillance activity from the intelligence community has been governed over the last decade plus uh, easily. Um, and I think that, that those are like three separate areas of core reforms that we can certainly look to go and see some major action on. But there's lots of other little technical things here and there, too, that I'm sure will get talked about. I think that it's very important. The good news here is that you have people all across the political spectrum that agree that this is a problem and that reforms are needed. And it's just really about trying to fight to make sure that these critical and core ones get incorporated into any kind of final passage and just just keep on the fight. I know it's very difficult, but it is much needed. So I'm personally very excited about this conversation. Absolutely. Uh, So James, where can everyone go to keep up with your work? Yeah. um, So best place you can always go and find me is on AFP. uh, Sorry. uh, Well, on the AFP website, I certainly have a page there too. Uh, But on Twitter, you guys can follow me at JamesCZ19. And then also, uh, you know, obviously I have my affiliation with Young Voices as well. On their website, I have a page where all these hits and latest musings go up as well. So follow me on any of those places. I'm always happy to chat with anybody about any of these issues anytime. Great, James. It was a pleasure. As always, we love to have you back on again soon. Thanks for having me.